Hey there, and welcome back to the Finding Your Mantra podcast. It has been a while. Um, I made the personal choice to actually put some episodes off for a week or two just because I was really in need of a break um, from churning out episodes and and all of that. Um, and then you don't live under a rock. I'm sure you know what's happening in the world. It just didn't seem like the right time to put out a new episode. And so I took another week break. But uh, if you follow me on Instagram, and if you're listening to this episode right around the time it's released, then um, you know what I said. But out of respect for the women who take the time to be interviewed by me and um, record episodes and provide valuable content to you, I feel like it's the right time to start releasing that content. Um, because it's only fair. <laughs> um, and so I hope that whether you're listening to this right now, because, you know, you're continuing to dive into your personal journey of, you know, motherhood and, and showing up that way the best you can. Um, or, you know, you're listening to this weeks or months in the future. I hope that the, you find this episode really valuable. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, just because I'm putting this episode out doesn't mean that my work um, with anti-racism and the work we're doing in our house and raising our family and, you know, in the background of my business doesn't mean that that has stopped. Um, I just am not going to broadcast everything that we're doing. Um, I do want to be part of the solution. And when I find things that are valuable or when we do something that feels like it's working, I'll share that with you. But as of today, this is what I have for you and I'm happy to bring it to you. So I want to bring you today's episode, which is a conversation I had with a woman named Cynthia Cummins and she comes to us from San Francisco and she was so cool. She has um, some grown sons and she just talks about how she raised them um, in a minimalist way and how she now is a, or has been a real estate agent for a long time and how she helps people bring a sense of calm and peace to their home by being really intentional with, um, the things and the stuff that they bring into their home. And I find this to be especially important with little ones because it's so tempting to think you need every last gadget and thing and, know, whatever, to fill your space, um, physically and mentally with just stuff. And she doesn't believe that. And she gives her best tips for, um, making sure that doesn't happen. And I really love that. (laughs) So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Um, I am happy to be bringing you new episodes. And, uh, if there's anything that you'd like me to cover, and if you have someone that you think would be a great person to interview, um, please send them my way as always. I'd love to keep these real conversations going and give you content that you're really looking for, um, during this time, especially. So enjoy, and, uh, we'll be back again next week. This is a place for you, mom. We're here to explore our super mom strength and softness. We share real talk about parenting, relationships, mom guilt, self-care, and more. We're real moms, just like you, chatting about life and bringing you tips and strategies for showing up as your best self. 
So throw up your mom bun, grab your coffee, and tune in to this week's episode of Finding Your Momtra. I'm Karen Liebner, mom of two, lover of all things coconut, and your host. Thanks for joining me. I have Cynthia, who is the founder of Kindred SF Homes and a realtor, and she's going to talk to us about um, being mindful about our management of our stuff, and um, which is something that's super important as moms, and I'm super excited to dive into this conversation. Um, so Cynthia, to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your family, and maybe a little bit about what you do? Well, I am... Uh, I'm a mother of two grown sons who are in their 20s. Um, They are, unlike me, San Francisco natives. And I grew up back in Virginia um, with a very small town sort of upbringing. Um, Raised my kids here. And I've been a top performing real estate agent in the city of San Francisco for 30 years now. That's amazing. Um, I had only been to San Fran once, totally fell in love and was like, oh, we could probably never afford to live here. <laughs> so so <laughs> it's pretty amazing that you're in the real estate market there. I can't imagine what that is like. Um, but we, you are actually not I too- can barely afford to live here. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is a cool place. Oh, we're, I'm in college. I cannot afford to live here. Um, (laughs) But what an awesome place worth, worth the price of admission, I'm sure. Um, So uh, yeah, you're actually, I'm from Pennsylvania. So you weren't too, too far from me and your upbringing. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So I would love to dive into a topic that you know a lot about being mindful about our stuff management and the role we take on as mothers, because I feel like I am 100% the manager of every last thing in my home. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Hmm. Yes, the the mommy in chief. (laughs) Um, um, I don't know. I think that I can remember feeling like it was really up to me with small children in the house to keep everybody in order. Mm. And I always felt like I sort of had my finger in the dam, you know, like the little Dutch boy who kept the city of Amsterdam from flooding. And there was a (laughs) vigilance, an uptight vigilance to that that really got in the way of being present Mm. with my family and feeling like I was in my body and in my life. I was always um, sort of detached and floating above and monitoring and and criticizing myself Mm. and my ex, my husband at the time. And um, it made for a very unhappy uh, mindset mm-hmm. um, and it didn't work. Right. <laughs> Con- constant vigilance um, doesn't work. 
I love that. I, I totally feel that with small kids right now. Um, and we try to like walk the fine line. I wasn't crazy about my baby registry, my shower registry, having every last knickknack because I was like, you know what? Parents did without this thing, that thing. We don't need to have every last thing to make this work. Um, and, you know, now as he gets, a, our toddler gets a little older and there's more toys and things involved, we're very like, like you're saying, kind of the vigilance is a great word about what comes in the house. Um, and, you know, for better or worse at, at birthdays and Christmas time, we're like, we just want to see all our family. We don't want you to give him things <laughs> because we have plenty. Um, and it's half, you know, we, we want it to be under control. Um, we want what he has to be things that, um, you know, spark imagination. So, you know, just because he doesn't have a play kitchen doesn't mean we can't pretend we're cooking, you know, like he doesn't need a play kitchen and a play, you know, construction site. And, uh, you know, you don't need all those things to have that imagination. Um, and we also want him to learn responsibility for his things, putting his things away and it not being like, oh, my mom and dad do that for me. Um, but. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, you mentioned as we prepared for this um, episode about the control freak <laughs> freakiness. Um, and, you know, I kind of feel that way a little bit uh, because things there are more things than I wish we had still, even with that vigilance. So, you know, tell us how that sort of can manifest. And I guess, you know, you sort of talk about in these notes, what happens between family members and spouses and things when we have that control freak nature about it. Uh Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I think that when you're, we're trying to, it's so challenging to Mm -hmm. be a parent, to be a mother. Um, and, and you are viewed, generally, as the one who's in charge. I mean, I remember um, my, the, my husband didn't know the name of the pediatrician <laughs> or um, where, you would, where you would go to get, um, I don't know, diapers, whatever. It, mm-hmm. was, um, it was all up to me. And so it's very difficult to be the calm in the, in the center of this continual storm mm-hmm. where it's never, ever going to be static or calm. Mm. It's always going to be changing. There's always going to be some chaos entering in. And so I think there are some very simple tools that um, we can use to center ourselves. And I, and I, definitely would like to talk about that yeah please do how to be the how to be the calm in the center of this storm um but I also was listening to you talking about you know the challenges of having a toddler and the um the wonderful um challenge of having people who love you and you want to (laughs) show their love by giving your child lots of toys yeah and, and trying how how can I delight this child right um that's very difficult to navigate mm-hmm. because we live in this society where it's all about buy this watch this try this mm-hmm. see that and um 
it just really doesn't have to be that way and it and it works better if you can avoid that mm-hmm. um, so i think that the like you were talking about the pretend kitchen mm-hmm. and the, the toy um hardware set yeah and yeah carpenter's like mm-hmm. bench right well in my experience um the way to uh engage one's child and to keep yourself sane and not accumulate a whole bunch of stuff and also teach about responsibility is to to really minimize anything that's like a pretend thing mm-hmm. and so that would mean um handing them a bunch of pots and pans and spoons from your kitchen right to play with right, right? Mm-hmm. or um any you know as long as you know kids aren't likely to like hit each other with a hammer right. left to their own devices. <laughs> right. Um, there's no reason they can't actually have a real small hammer mm-hmm. and real small nails and a two by four that they can practice trying to hammer nails into at a certain age. Did you see my Instagram um, last week? Because that's exactly what my son was doing with my husband. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That's yeah. so great. <laughs> well, I am, I am going to be following you, so I'm, I'm be excited to see what other carpentry they can get up to. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, at an early age, um, we were very um, media conscious, To that would be a, kind of an understatement, um, when our children were small, and um, I gave them paring knives at a very early age, probably at four or five. Um, my boys started learning how to peel potatoes mm-hmm. and chop up carrots. Um, I could seat them at a table with a little, each of them with their little knife and their little cutting board, and they helped make dinner. Mm-hmm. So that that just solves a whole bunch of things all at one time. Mm-hmm. Give children jobs that are actually meaningful. Right. Um, that they don't have to do perfectly. Right. They're not going to whip up a um, <laughs> chicken cordon bleu right, for dinner. <laughs> but there's no reason that they can't um, knead dough mm-hmm. for bread or, um, like I said, um, stir some oatmeal, right? right. They mm-hmm. can do these in yep. supervised fashion. And it gives them something to do. It teaches them responsibility. They can help clean up. Mm-hmm. In fact, they can be in charge of the whole cleanup, mm-hmm. right? Not, there's nothing like um, having a step stool at the kitchen sink where your toddler can stand on it and wash the dishes. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that automatically makes for a more integrated, calm, less stuff-oriented mm-hmm. home situation. Yeah, because you're engaging them with the things you need and already have. And when the time comes for them to, you know, I mean, like you're saying, they are really contributing. But, you know, to actually contribute on a bigger scale, they already know how all those things work. 
Yeah, and I and I think that it's the the thing that goes along with that is it creates you can do this in a minimalist way, mm-hmm. right? Where your kitchen stuff becomes their toys, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't need every last kitchen gadget. Mm-hmm. You don't need a mushroom slicer mm-hmm. or you don't I mean I actually right now I have my partner and I um, have an ongoing struggle in our kitchen because he's very minimalist about that and we're both really good cooks and I keep trying to like I had to make a case for bringing a whisk in the house <laughs> <laughs> because a fork will actually do all the work of a whisk. Right, right. <laughs> um, but actually, he agreed. Um, I set out five reasons why a whisk was a necessary gadget. That is so and funny. <laughs> so I guess that sort of leads into the next question of how accumulating things masks deeper needs and issues. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, well, we've all, I mean, maybe not, maybe there's somebody who hasn't done this, but, you know, we've all gone online to um, uh, Seven for Mankind or, or um, J. Crew or whatever mm-hmm. at night. Um, well, after the kids have gone to bed and picked out that blouse that's just going to completely change it for us right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean my closet right now I've got this beautiful blue velvet blouse that I bought um, back just in December because it was the thing that was going to make my holidays so much more special mm. and guess what I still haven't worn it. <laughs> and so it satisfied, it did satisfy this need I had in the moment. Um, here I'm analyzing myself here, but <laughs> there was some need. And I think the need was to have the softness of velvet, some sort of throwback to another time mm. where the holiday could feel warmer and cozier and a little bit luxurious and soft. And, um, and I could scratch that itch by just purchasing an $80 blouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but that probably was not the way to do it. Right. So when it comes to purchasing or acquiring anything I think we really have to ask ourselves um, I mean there's all kinds of methods that you can read about online um, questions that we ask ourselves about why are we why are we wanting this Um, how are we going to use it what's its present value how much is it going to be worth to us Um, a day or a week mm-hmm. or a year um, there's a lot of of tools but I think the main one is trying to get centered enough to say is this something that I actually need 
Mm -hmm. um, because everything we bring into our home is going to come back and bite us later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we just, <laughs> we just moved in August and going through our things, which is, was something that we put off and put off and put off because my husband and I bought our last home and moved in together and we just bought both of our bachelor pad stuff, <laughs> you know, just shoved it all in this house that we never, you know, boxes never to be opened again that sat in our basement until the day we moved, you know, until the week we moved last year. And going through that was such a burden and it made me uh -huh. think as we moved things into this home, you know, every single thing was looked at. And I was like, do we need this or not? Are we ever going to touch this again? Is it practical to keep it and have to manage it and find a place for it and keep it in good working order? Like, is it worth all of that time and, and investment um, before bringing it into this new home? So we're not finding ourselves in this same place in nine years, <laughs> looking through our basement right. like, Oh, well, there's a box we haven't opened in nine years, you know. Um, so it is really important to me now when we're making purchases, because now I'm thinking of that move. And I hope I stay in that mindset for a long time, because it's easy to fall back down into the, we need this, we need this, we need this kind of mode. Yeah, that's a very, um, that's, it's hard to stay in that mode, especially if you are living in a house with, have room where you can put stuff. Right, right. Like, Bigger, the bigger the property, the more of a problem you have. Right. I really admire my clients who've purposefully purchased something very small. Hmm. Um, they might have had to do it out of necessity because your budget only goes so far in San right. Francisco. Mm -hmm. but, but I have had a couple of clients who lived intentional minimalist lives who they didn't go for the three-bedroom right. house. They... They bought the two-bedroom house mm -hmm. that had only a very tiny storage area. Mm -hmm. um, there is there is a resource I might mention, um, and after this, you'll share my contact information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, people are welcome to get in touch with me, but I think it's on a website called unclutterer.com. Mm. Um, there was a one sort of 10 commandments of, of getting rid of clutter. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and there are, I printed those out and have put them up on the wall whenever I'm doing a spring cleaning or a occasional purging. Mm -hmm. Every time I move, um, they're really valuable tips. But one of my um, favorites is to, um, whether you're thinking about acquiring something or whether you're in the middle of deciding whether or not you should keep it, or uh, maybe you're thinking about its value, right? Mm -hmm. like one problem we have when we're trying to minimize our stuff is we look at that uh, little um, statue that we bought, that little piece of art that we got in, uh, I don't know, Puerto Vallarta, mm -hmm. and we say, um, <laughs> I love this when I bought it in Puerto Vallarta and I think I paid $150 for it. Mm. Um, seems like somebody would want this. Somebody wants this and it's got to be worth at least 50 bucks, right? Well, the truth is, is that nobody wants <laughs> it and, and it's not worth anything. Right. Really. 
And so there's these two concepts. One is ownership effect. I think that there's endowment effect and ownership effect, which are kind of two sides of or variations on the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that theme is that the minute you own something, the minute you acquire something, it becomes more valuable to you right. than it objectively is. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's and and it's very hard in the future to to assess its present value hmm. and to get real about how to dispense with it, huh. um, because all this guilt attaches to it. Right. I spent one hundred fifty dollars. I should at least get twenty five. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> when in fact, what you want to do is have a yard sale, set it out on a table. And, um, and on a table where everything is a dime Mm. or five for a quarter. So that when people come to the yard sale, they say, oh my gosh, I don't need this. I don't need any of this stuff, but it's so cheap. I have to buy it. Right. And then it (laughs) goes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Put it off on other people. (laughs) Right. That's so funny. So. I guess my next question for you is, do you feel like we just model this for our kids or is it an explicit conversation that we have? How do you think we teach our kids about this? Hmm. How do we teach our kids? <laughs> well, I think the way that we teach our kids about anything is by modeling mm-hmm. certain behavior. I mean, for example, if, if you don't want your child to be tethered to a mobile phone then you probably shouldn't be on yours right all the time right right? Um, and um so i think it's really about um about treasuring and treating with respect and um and, and also bringing in a certain amount of ritual in the way that we treat everyday objects. Mm. I think that to reduce the number of objects and things that we have, but to treat all those things with reverence, mm-hmm. that cultivates um, an understanding in children mm-hmm. that um, all these, these things matter and not having a lot of them is right. not important. Having a lot of them is not important. So this might be that, um, so let's go back to the kitchen. So you have your, your young children helping in the kitchen. You have one drawer where you have all of the, the towels and napkins that you use in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And they go in a certain place they get folded a certain way. Mm-hmm. They get put back at a certain time, right? Mm-hmm. And by having this sort of rote expectation, you instill a kind of Buddhist-like um, sensibility mm-hmm. about about those things. I think doing it without saying it is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that 
you know, especially I have young children, so they're, they are just observing everything I do, we do and, and taking that in. Um, and I'm sure that at some point kids get curious and ask the questions about, you know, why do we do this this way? Or why does this go in here? And, um, and I think that, you know, like you're saying, if we've instilled in ourselves, you know, this respect for our things and, and, and all of the stuff you're saying, then I think the answer to those questions is really easy for us to give them and talk them through and help them understand. Yes. And, or, or they never actually get around to questioning. Right. Cause so it's just later. normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like they're all of a sudden they're, they're moving in with their college girlfriend and, um, and saying, but no, you have to put the, the, um, your shirts in the order of the rainbow colors. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. My children, my kids went to Waldorf school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing. The rainbow colors. Right? That's so funny. And they can tell you exactly what the, that order is. <laughs> and, um, and I even have a, my one bookshelf that I have in the house, which is one of my minimalist, um, things that I'm most proud of is that I have only one bookshelf, one three shelf bookshelf, and I organize them in order of the colors of the rainbow (laughs) on their spines, right? Oh, that is, that is um, something we noticed when we moved, the books that the two of us had. Oh my goodness. Just like boxes of books. Where did they all come from? I don't know why. Some, you know, never cracked the cover of, but that's just, I think that's a really common hoarder mentality of books it's like I need this I'm gonna I'm gonna get to this someday and then you just don't yeah, books are really <laughs> tricky and I've I've ignited controversies online <laughs> books right <laughs> <sighs> you know because I really think that the only books you should have are um ones that I'm I'm children book fruit books for children I'm putting in a different category right but otherwise if you can get it online if you can get it at the library right um you shouldn't have it in the house Mm. yeah that's 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 a new yeah if you have something that you look at all the time right like Mm -hmm. my book of roomy poetry Mm -hmm. or if you have something that's sentimental. I think you're allowed a few sentimental first edition precious gifts. Um, but if it is in the category of, oh yeah, one day I'm going to get around right. to reading <laughs> Angle of Repose by Will William Steiger, right? Um, Stegner, which I've been saying I'm going to do for about 20 years. <laughs> um, no, you can't have it. You can't keep it. <laughs> That's great. I'm tough. Sounds so tough. <laughs> I mean, it, it requires a certain sense of discipline to be, you know, that that strict with yourself. It really is hard because we really do give ourselves a lot of uh, credit for thinking we're going to get to things someday <laughs> like that, you know? Yes, exactly. And I think there's a, there's a, um, a, uh, a tip that goes along with that, which yeah. is something like someday never comes. Mm, mm-hmm. right? And if that day does come, you can get that book. Right. 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 Yeah. The book. Yeah, library, exactly. Get it online. It's so not going to be. In- time, yeah. 
Yeah, it's not going to be impossible to get your hands on it when you are ready to, to dive in. And books, this is, this is, books are kind of a psychological thing. Um, it's like carrying them with us, having them with us is something that says something about our identity and mm. our, um, like, uh, you know, I remember having boyfriends who uh, had all these fancy books on yeah. their bookshelves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anything like maybe it was um, had a carry around catcher in the bit. rye or something yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to look intellectual or, or, then <laughs> or then there'd be like strategic magazines around <laughs> so that I would be impressed by right. their, their intellect right exactly <laughs> and you get to know them and it's a whole other story right oh the spine of this book but doesn't look a, very worn <laughs> <laughs> But it's kind of a slippery slope. Like right. the next thing you know, you're like um, one of my nieces who was carting around two suitcases full of books everywhere oh. she went. Um, and then there's a further slippery slope where all of a sudden um, there's a hoarding tendency. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Goodness. <laughs> so we want to definitely stay away from that. Absolutely. Um, So you did briefly mention some tools for centering ourselves and how to be the calm. Do you have a couple tips related to that? I know you've mentioned a few throughout our conversation, but do you want to leave us off with another tip or two? I would love to do that. Um, I could use that myself. (laughs) We all could. (laughs) We all could. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do, right? Exactly. Exactly. I, every time I get, um, every time I sit on my meditation cushion and focus, the first thing that I think is, oh goodness, I need to come back here more often. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. I need to return. I'm always needing to return because when we can get calm within ourselves, it is like coming home. Mm-hmm. It is like coming home where we can rest. Um, and there's so many ways in. There's so many ways to do it. And and I could go on for a couple of hours mm. with some ideas, but I'm going to share what I think is the best or the quickest And that is just stopping and having three breaths, three breaths. And by that, um, I mean three sipping breaths where you, you stop, maybe think about or notice some part of your body that might be throbbing or pulsing a little bit, Mm -hmm. shoulders, temple, whatever. Just notice that for two seconds. Then be still, close your eyes, exhale, and then inhale through your nose as if you were sipping the air like through a straw Mm. into your nose to slow count of six. One, two, three, four, five, 
six. Hold at the top for a second. Exhale, one, two, three, four, five, six. That's it. You do that three times and it can make such a huge difference, mm -hmm. such a huge difference. Um, if you're thinking, gosh, it's time for a glass of white wine and maybe you're trying not to drink so much, stop, have the three breaths. Or, oh my God, if, if my kid sings that song, um, she'll be coming around the mountain <laughs> one more time, I'm going to scream. Stop, have your three breaths. And three breaths in the middle of a busy day, are that's hard to find that time. It's yep. hard to make you do it yourself. Mm -hmm. But what a difference it can yep. make. Mm -hmm. And so in a pinch, just one. Just one intentional, conscious breath mm -hmm. can completely change one's experience. Absolutely. I believe. I, I totally agree. And I always say the thing that we're putting off that we say we don't have time for, and whether that's five deep breaths or time meditating or time working out or, or you know, cooking a nutritious meal, whatever the thing is that you're saying you don't have time for is probably the thing you need the most to like oh. come back to center. Um, so do it, <laughs> figure out how to make that time work. Like you said, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour and a half workout. If it's a walk around the block, moving your body that takes five minutes, that was worth time well spent. Um, because you're going to be more centered, more focused, more present, more patient, all the things that you're needing and you're putting off mm -hmm. having that gratification and having that better experience, like you're saying. And, and if, if it's, if there's not the ability to, I mean, I think you can sneak a breath in right. just about anywhere, but if you need a little more and yet you can't disconnect you can't find space and you need to do something with your little children, for example, mm -hmm. it's nothing like, um, like bath time and like bath with the baby mm -hmm. in the middle of the day or, um, just lying down and having a little, doesn't have to be a nap, just a little lie down mm -hmm. together like out the window together and mm -hmm. notice what the sky is doing, mm -hmm. but that can be very calming and it feels quite delicious yeah. <laughs> because you're abdicating responsibility at that moment. Yep. Yeah. Well, you just said another tip that I always say, just add water always with my toddler. When things, <laughs> when things get crazy with my toddler, it's like, let's go jump in a puddle. Let's fill up a bucket and, and wash your toys. Let's get in the tub, whatever. Oh, but when you add water, some, for some reason, like you said, it just has this calming effect, even though, you know, it can get silly and splashy and whatever, but it does always chill things out. So that's one of my favorite tips. Just add water. <laughs> that is, Karen, that's really brilliant. I think really hit on something there I know <laughs> when my kids were in kindergarten the punishment for acting out was being told to go fill up a bucket with water <laughs> and carry it right? so, it takes so much concentration for a little guy <laughs> right you know the, it didn't feel like a, a punishment and I and the just add water thing 
here's my here's a huge tip for for moms yeah. everywhere. Cry. Ugh. Just go ahead and yeah. cry. And you know, if you can if you can like it's like drop and give me twenty, right? If you can just go ahead and let it let it out. Let the tears come. Let your children see that. Let it become ordinary. Mm-hmm. Then that normalizes that sort of emotions and feelings yeah. for your kids. Yeah. They never see you. And and you don't have to explain why. It doesn't have to be a big drama. Right. Right? But let the tears come. Mm-hmm. Add that water to the mix. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, before I let you off here, I'd love for you to share with us where we can follow you if people are in your local area, how they can connect with you for your services. That would be awesome. Yes. So one of the best ways to connect with me um, from any place is at realestatetherapy.org. That's my blog. And there are all sorts of ideas there about how how we make a home from a house. Mm. And um, and then for people in the San Francisco Bay Area, or really anywhere, because I know real estate agents throughout the world, mm. um, my, my real estate website is Kindred, as in Kindred Spirits, mm-hmm. Kindred SF as in San Francisco, mm-hmm. homes.com, so kindredsfhomes.com. Um, and I'm really happy to uh, respond to people. You'll find my email address on all of my social media there. Yeah. Um, and I would love to, to hear from people. Awesome. Anytime. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. It's very much appreciated. Yes.